0: Hello and welcome to House of Wine, the podcast. This podcast will help you deepen your intimate life with God, give you practical insight in how to develop a rhythm of prayer and finally ground your journey in a revelatory discovery of the scripture. Thanks for joining me. This week, I will be sharing a teaching I did within the Glory City Academy as part of a series called Living in Prayer. This teaching attempts to articulate the mystery of the Lord's Table. I really believe the Holy Spirit is inviting us to discover the nature of God in the Blessed Sacrament. It plays an important, a vital role in the unification of the body of Christ and a personal role in its supply of heavenly sustenance to our souls. It connects us to the clarity of the Father's heart and practically helps us to present ourselves into His loving care as we continue to follow Him. Okay, let's do this. So, um, we talked a little bit about different views on communion, different ideas about what it is, um, and then I ranted a lot about the Jews, and then I had to repent to. Not to the Lord, to Mark Greenwood. I said, I spoke a lot about the juice. Just letting you know, (laughs) I went there quite consistently. So, um, so yeah, different, different styles of communion, but also, um, we touched a little bit on the nature of God in, in the atonement and connecting the atonement to the sacrament of communion. Does that make sense? So the atonement is. I'll describe what the atonement is in in this way. Is like a lot of what we talk about is is salvation. It's salvation theology or soteriology. Like Mark Greenwood wrote a whole book on that. That's all. That's really like salvation theology. Um, and it's it's what we've received through Christ, through His work, through His incarnation, through His death, through His resurrection, through His glorification, through that whole. Through that process we, we've talked a lot about what that means for me and often it, it is sort of interpreted or it's applied through quite a individual like perspective where we read Ephesians 1 for example and we're like this is so good this is all God's love for me but actually the whole book's written to a congregation of people it's not it's it's relevant to you but it's also written to a congregation of people so um so salvation is is about the impact of Christ's work, what his work has accomplished in your heart, in your life. You, you were circumcised with circumcision, not made with hands, by the putting off of the body of the sins. You guys know Romans 6, Colossians 2, that you, your old life was crucified with him. Every part of that sin-dead existence that you had was nailed to the cross, swallowed up in the tomb in his death. And you were recreated through the power of his resurrection, through the quickening of his spirit, the spirit of holiness who plunged into Christ's tomb and actually quickened his mortal body back to life. And in his resurrection, you were resurrected too. And in his ascension, you were actually glorified. You were raised up, you were seated with him at the right hand of the Father in a heavenly realm, in a heavenly dimension. Salvation, you were saved. Like, like now you're saved, that's who you are. So now we, we have language, we, take a, you know, we talk about taking an inventory of ourselves, uh, Romans 6:12. Reckon yourself, it's the word to take an inventory. So we take an inventory of ourselves. Okay, we have a new heart, we have a clear conscience, we have um, a brand new, um, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Like we, we can take this inventory and reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? Salvation theology. The atonement, which is the point of me saying all that, even though it felt quite good to talk about it because I really felt the grace of God on that. (sighs) Newness of life. Eternal life. It's to know God. It's not heaven one day. Just so you know. (laughs) You can't, hey? You just can't talk about it too much. (laughs) So you're not you're not that person that you were told that you were you know when you were growing up and through life's experiences and you're not that person anymore you don't even know actually who you really are because when you see him you'll be like him because you'll see you'll see him in his fullness but we've only tasted glimpses of who he is so you don't really you don't actually know the expanse of who you really are in Jesus you're an expansive being of light and Presence and glory, and you got glitter on your face. (laughs) Do I? It's probably Mirabelle's been doing painting, and then she puts the glitter in the paint. It's quite fun. Is it? it? (laughs) It's like everywhere. Um, Yeah, so we are expansive beings, and you know, even creation, creation is groaning for us to discover who we are, it's longing to be liberated from its bondage to decay, just by us simply discovering ourselves in Jesus. As we behold him, we suddenly transfiguration happens, you know? We see him for who he is, and then it's like something, our, consci- our consciousness shifts into this different state of consciousness, this eternal perspective, this Christ consciousness, where we suddenly, we're not thinking of Jesus as a separate, um, he is, he is in a way, he's an individual, he has a, he has a body actually, he's, he's got a glorified body and you can relate to him on a personal level but the, the, the deeper our revelation becomes, the more solidified it becomes and you, the, you know, John actually talks about there's a perfection of love, that Jesus is an author and perfecter of your faith. So you're, you're perfect as far as your nature and what you've been given but it is perfected. Practical sanctification, Do you guys talk about that? All right, ask, ask Mark about that, because no one wanna talk about. Salvation, that's salvation. Um, and I talked about the analogy, I think I talked about it here, the analogy where, so, so say salvation is like you had, you were like separate from your, from your family, say your parents, and then you like reconcile to them, and they give you this like heirloom, this like gem, and they like give it to you and you're like, wow, this thing's awesome and it's precious and it's valuable. Take it to a jeweler. It's like priceless. It's like this thing is it's legit. You can look at it, observe it from every angle and it's awesome. It's a gift. It's the gift of salvation, right? But the way that that gem was acquired is equally as important if we're to have intimacy with God because that gem could have been acquired through the black market. It could have been a blood diamond. It could have been Right? There's, there's many ways that people can get wealthy and you could have received the gift, but you don't really know the giver necessarily just by looking at the gift. Does that make sense? So the atonement is really looking at, it's not just what we've been given salvation, but it's how that gift of salvation was acquired for us. And you learn a lot about who God is by observing actually his nature and his character through Christ's work, it's actually, it's where you discern the way that he loves us, not just that he loves us. People talk about the love of God all day. No Christian would disagree with the love of God, but we're not, we're not necessarily seeing a wave of people being defined by love when it comes to Christianity. People aren't looking at Christians and going, I you know, Christians, oh my goodness, Christians, they're just the most loving people. I know there's glimpses of that, but I'm just saying like generally speaking, what are people more, they're probably saying, Christians are judgmental, Christians are um, Bible bashers. Christians are a whole bunch of things, but not necessarily love. So we can say all day long, God is love, God loves you, blah, 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 blah. I know God always loves me, but we can live with really a lack of clarity around the nature of his love, the way of his love, the logic of his love, the poetry, the artistry, that how love actually expresses itself. And if we don't understand how love expresses itself in Christ, we actually won't participate fully in the full scope of how love expresses itself in our own life. You know, a lot of people they they really struggle when they go through painful situations or suffering or just or just like things in life that happen. Even just just trials in general. Maybe it's not to do with like pain in your heart or like um, you know, relational discomforts. Maybe it's as simple as like you know, you don't know where the next dollars coming from. And a lot of us don't. We don't always know how to um, walk through these situations. And often it's because the character of God somehow there's this aspect of His character that we 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 don't we don't know kind of how to connect to God in those situations. And it's because we haven't necessarily interpreted clearly the way of His love and His His nature and His character that's revealed in Christ. Jesus was was the most possessed person when it comes to the love of God, and that. That love was a compelling force. We know Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels me. It's, the word is like it's a driving force. It's an energy that moves a person to do things, right? The love of Christ compels me. Well, Jesus was compelled by love. You know, Heidi Baker's documentary, Compelled by Love. Jesus was compelled by love, but he was compelled to hang on a tree and to die a brutal death. And that was the destiny that the Father gave him. And you're like, well, he was a saviour, so and that's true, and so what he did was limited to him because you can't, and no no other person in heaven and earth can acquire salvation for humanity. But Jesus also prophesied Peter's death. He said, another one will dress you. And it said he said this to speak of the death that he would die. So it's like, it's, it's, sometimes you can talk about that stuff and it's like, it's almost like we don't—we don't even know where to place it. We don't even—we think about. I remember when I first got saved. I like got this book on martyrs, and I don't know why I loved it so much. Like I—I I think I was just like, I didn't have the understanding, but I was like, I couldn't stop reading, these accounts of martyrs. I just read it all day long, and um, my wife thought I was absolutely nuts because she, she had a salvation experience, but it wasn't. She wasn't it wasn't like a radical thing like me and I would just lie in bed and I go, babe, check out this. And I just like read her these stories of like martyrs, like, like, like yeah. this whole band of soldiers in the, in the Roman army that like they all get sentenced to death. And then the other soldiers who are watching them just cut to the heart and just walk to their death and get saved just by watching these people get martyred, just wow. crazy stories. And um, we're like, where does that fit within the love of God? And you read things like Romans 8, well like height, depth, principality, power, created things, nothing can separate me from the love of of God that is in Christ Jesus. So he had a revelation. Paul the apostle was actually like borderline suicidal the way he lived his life. He was running headlong into hostile situations. And you cannot say that he was driven by willpower or duty. It wasn't just like this is I have to do this because you know we know 1 Corinthians 13 says that you can give your body to be burned but you ha- if you have not love it's just nothing. It's pointless. So, you know, Muslims get martyred every day but it's not motivated by love. It's wild, hey. it's a, it's a rich gospel that one. Confronting gospel. I remember a friend of mine had someone break into his house and um <laughs> So intense. He's in the middle of the night and he wakes up and there's a dude, like three dudes standing in his house. Or like a dude and he had two like minions standing outside keeping watch. Have you heard this story? Yeah. And just like, I, love, I just love him sharing this story because it went on for about two hours or something having this interaction with this guy. And he's just like externally processing the very real fear you feel when you wake up and some stranger is standing over you in your bed. And you discover, like Chris Valzen says, adversity introduces a man to himself. There's something about moments like that where you go, how deep, really, how genuine, how authentic is is my faith in those moments? And you come face to face with the reality of where you you're actually at. And that's This is actually the beauty of like these challenging situations, painful situations, is that it produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So love actually is something that can be present in the midst of everything going wrong, everything actually going opposite to God's desire and there's a well of discovery um, of his love to be discovered in those times that I, I actually just don't know if you can discover his, an aspect of who he is without going through those situations. I think that's why Jesus said, in this life, you will have many trials. It's just like promised. Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. Do not be surprised by it. We're really surprised often. Or someone does something to us or says something or betrayal or different things and it hurts, it causes pain and, and we're like, we disconnect from them or we get angry at God or whatever. It's like this is, this is the reality of, of, of being formed and perfected in love and learning to like have these rocky places in your heart smoothed and refined by fire. And this is why I believe the table of the Lord's important, communion. I'll bring it back to communion because that's what we're talking about. Because it's God articulating the full spectrum of his love on display in Jesus' death and in his resurrection. And it's an invitation to come up higher and eat from a different dimension, participate in a different life, the life of his spirit, newness of life, kynos life, life that's never been seen before, a heavenly life, a new creation life and the feast has been presented to us in the midst of our enemies but we don't we don't often understand what he's articulating through the cross the logic of his love is in the cross so. and this is the logic that god wasn't punishing jesus so that he could vent his anger so that he could then relate to you that's a it's a it's a version of his work that disconnects the Trinity in their nature because God's the nice, God's the mean judge and Jesus is the nice, kind one. He's like, peace, you know, the Californian Jesus. And we're like, thank you for the gift of salvation, but how do I relate to my father because he's just like hectic. But 2 Corinthians 5 actually says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But actually we can observe Jesus work and the whole the whole work from the incarnation to his resurrection we can be interpreting God's heart toward us we can be interpreting the display of his love in that entire work and it's it's a rich feast like i i've become obsessed with Christ and him crucified with just looking at his the incarnation because i've I've so drummed into my thinking that everything I see of Jesus is representing the heart of the Father. I've so like conditioned myself or the Holy Spirit's conditioned me in the scripture to recognize that every nuance of what Jesus does and how he interacts is the Father's heart being revealed to me in a living person, in a human being. That's so profound, it's the, it's it's actually the light that came into the world because we were all living in darkness. They were, the, the Israelites, they didn't have a clue about who God truly was, actually. We, I've talked about this before. When he when he descended on the mountain on Sinai in shadow and storm and thunder and lightning, they're like, we're scared of that God. But Moses walks into the cloud. That's just, why does he do that? It's like he, he knew something of who Jesus is or who God is in Christ even before the time that he was able to do that but up to the up leading up until the coming of jesus like it's god is totally shadowy and confusing and in the background and you know we attribute things to him that he didn't do and we're confused about whether he likes us, or maybe he's like sitting in the background taking notes on all your behavior, and whether you did your prayer time and ticking little boxes, and and we all we all know that God is loving and that He's a good good father. You know, it's who He is. It's who He is. But sometimes there's these subconscious things that are sitting there that are actually constantly, you know, I I this is a good example when you go okay, let's just be consciously aware of the love of God right now. And most times it takes a little bit of, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to oil our hearts up because there's conditioning that's just normal to human life that is contradictory to the way of heaven, the culture of heaven, the nature of God. That's just the truth. And it's not our destiny. It's not the way that we have to live we 're growing up into him in all things, and so we want to we want to live that 's why I talked about stages of prayer. I think like for me, like union is my desire to live in a place of union where like the idea that god's somewhere else is like is like weird to my consciousness like that God is like what I have to like try and be aware of God like i I am in him, and he is in me like that's how i want to I want to live like that and And I've glimpsed even like a deepening of that even recently like I, you know, when I've been doing really administrative tasks that can feel like they're more heady. I've been discovering this fresh pathway of like my mind doesn't have to control me and trusting, not trying to force myself into a place of rest, just trusting that I'm permanently in a place of rest and my mind will catch up. And I don't have to domineer my mind, I don't have to domineer my body, I don't have to like try and rule over these different faculties. I can actually just let them remember and they'll come back into alignment with the truth of my who I am in him. It's, and it's, it's like changing a lot of stuff because I'm just not, I'm not trying to force, you know, like, I don't know why I'm talking about that. <laughs> the truth is, is that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit were present in Christ's work. And while you were dead in trespass and sin, he made you alive. Before you could contribute anything to him, before you could contribute a good prayer time, a devotional time, 10 chapters a day, he pierced through your alienation. You were alienated from the life of God, Ephesians says. That means you you were were a, a foreign thing, cursed actually. Gentiles were cursed. Because of your own sin, not because he was running from you, but because you distance yourself by your sin, by your fallenness, by your rejection of him. There's this like C.S. Lewis, I think it's in Narnia, where he says, oh, Adam's son, how you, something like how you reject all that might do you good, (laughs) something like that. It's like he is everything you want, but this lie of fear and Insecurity and all this stuff, it actually causes you to reject the very thing that you desire that you're wired for. And so you were separate from the life of God. But Jesus came before you. You didn't write a petition, you didn't, you didn't cry out for God, you didn't do any of that stuff. You didn't say, Please send, send a ransom, send redemption. You didn't say that to the Father. No, no one knew. They're, they're just living in the shadow of the situation they're in. And Romans 5 is like, um, scarcely would one die for a righteous person. Like, it would be rare to find a person who would die for a good person. But God demonstrates his love in that while you were yet a sinful person, you got, and you've got you to consider that to its full extent. Like, I've talked about it before. Like, the Roman soldier who's, you know, who's seen the passion, like, beating Christ – and like they're laughing, you know, like he, he he, later on is saying, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. It's wild. Like it's, you were an enemy of God, it says. <laughs> you could never do enough is the point. And that's liberating because it's like, good, stop trying. But all this comes from understanding the nature of God in the cross. We have to, we have to understand that I had this, I wrote down this thing. That's a good quote. See, we think, we think the father was coming down on the son so that he could kind of like release his, his disappointment in you. And so like he's released that now. So now he's like, okay, that's done now i can connect to you but you're like wow that dude if i did the wrong thing again what stops him from just wanting to release his anger again cuz actually what we're saying with that view of the of the cross is that god is actually just like a little bit like unpredictable and actually he builds up anger to a certain degree and then he must release it on someone anyone right But the reality, see, when you reconnect the Trinity and you go, wait, this isn't the Father just taking his anger out on the Son. This is the Father and the Son and the Spirit demonstrating divine, long-suffering in enduring the mess that you caused <laughs> to reach you, bearing himself, like, like not just on a physical level, As though he's disinterested in your heart, he's actually making himself so vulnerable to people who literally will never, apart from him, be able to respond in love. For the joy set before him that if you could see how final his love is, maybe you would respond out of your own free choice and come into that circle of love. It's radical. It's Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy. Rich, it's a very specific word that's used there, rich in mercy. His mercy is not from a distance. His mercy is Christ hanging on a cross, enduring our sin. It's not the God's judge sitting, the judge going, I, I deem you innocent, go your way. Like it's, that's, not, that's not the cross, the cross is a Trinitarian act. It's the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, enduring. And you can say, well, where was the how do you know the Father's in there? It's like. Who's, who's a parent? I heard Leif Hetland say this once, because he like he goes into Pakistan and stuff, and he said, Once the Lord said to him, Hey Leif, you know your son? And you know this terrorist that isn't you know, Imam Muslim Imam that I've called you to minister to, would you would you offer your son to be murdered so that you could reach this terrorist? It's like the father's indifferent. He's just like he's just balancing the cosmic scales and just making sure everything lines up. You know, it, it's the I heard Barack Obama say that having kids is like having your heart walking around trying to cross the road when they shouldn't be. That's, what it's, that's actually what it's like because of the automatic connection to your begotten. That's, that's how God's wired us. So his son hanging on the cross is not pleasurable for him. It's the joy that's set before him that he would get a whole nation restored, the earth restored, the earth redeemed. It's a mutual act of love where the son willingly says, not my will but your will. And the father releases him even though it rips his heart out to do so. You know, he's not just the judge just going, Justice has been served, you know. He didn't kill Jesus so he could forgive you. You know Ephesians actually says, forgive one another as the as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus is the offering of forgiveness from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the mercy seat of God being presented to us. His blood spilled out. is crying, mercy, 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 mercy. Eternally, it's singing over humanity. Mercy, mercy, mercy. They're They're innocent. They're innocent. They're innocent. know the person that you struggle with the most, the Lord looks at them and goes, I just see an innocent person. I just see innocence. I just see perfection. I just see someone I want to snuggle. That person who grinds you, the Lord's just like, oh my goodness, they are perfection. I'm obsessed with them. That's wild, isn't it? That's that's really true. That's That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Don't judge that comment because you're all we've all have moments like that. And it should be an indicator. If you if you're like, if you feel like you want to disconnect with a person, or you're just grinded by them, and you want to just like look the other way, it's like you don't have to be best friends with everyone. But like, let that be a trigger to your heart. Let it be an indicator to your heart that it's not necessarily aligned in the love of God in that moment. You know, like when my daughter gets the milk out of the fridge and spills it over the floor, I'm just like, oh my goodness, she is so cute. <laughs> yeah once I came into the, my prayer room and she's ripping Psalm 27 in this Bible as well of all Bibles and um, oh man and it was at a time where I was actually it was just such a tense time in my life for so many reasons and I was like babe I said to my wife, I'm like, I need to leave the house for a second. <laughs> I was <just> walked out. <laughs> so I relate to that comment. <laughs> um, when you see that his body was God fully empathizing with every struggle that you've had, em- entering in to your pain, He's not, he's not from a distance punishing sin alone. He's coming really close to you. He's entering into your very situation. Whatever struggle it is right now, Jesus, it actually says that he can be a faithful high priest because he was tempted at every single point yet without sin. There's nothing that he's been through, that you've been through that he hasn't been through. So what, what that means is that God isn't just a God who suffered for you, but he's a god who suffered as you. You're asking what? Oh, yeah. That's a that's a rabbit hole that one. He suffered as you, which means he's able to suffer with you. You know when you're you know when you're like processing something and you're talking to like you try you just like try and process it with, process it with someone. And you're like, they just do not get it. <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're distant from your situation and they're just unable. And like the Lord can grace a person to empathize and stuff like that. Jesus, do, he's not going to be distant because he actually has suffered at every point. He's fully able to empathize with the deepest, darkest, most sinful person. He's entered into that space through the incarnation and his death on the cross. Isn't that wild? And so when you're going through situations, you know what makes things so hard, I think, like going through challenging situations, is that I, I believe this is true and maybe you won't agree with me, but I, I really do. I believe that the hardest thing, especially with relational difficulties, is that subconsciously we interpret we, we, we can run the risk of interpreting God as being on the accusing, pointing the finger. When you feel rejected by a person, if you're, if you're feeling accepted by God, who cares he rejects you? You'll recognize like hurt people hurt people. Hurting people hurt other people. But the only way you can recognize that and, and make that distinction is when you are hidden in his love. And then you can embrace the pain of someone misunderstanding you and taking their discomfort out on you because you're stable in his love and you're comforted and you're held secure. Does it make sense? Yeah. So if someone has the ability to hurt you, it doesn't mean that's wrong. It's good. But if it's, if it, if it's causing that kind of like pain where you're like, it's actually trying to cripple you or whatever, there's an invitation in Psalm 84 that like as you pass through the valley of weeping, you make it a spring. There's a depth of love that you're being invited into right now. It's a rich feast. It's, it's the table of the Lord. You take his body and you go, this isn't just some mechanical transaction. This is God opening himself up, to making himself so vulnerable to us on every level, giving over his physical body to deliver you, to take on this issue of sin, that sin that was directed toward you. He's carried that and he's actually been fighting on your behalf and he's, he does understand your heart. And he's like, no, that's not, you're not rejected. You're not whatever it is, you know, you're feeling from the person who's done that or whatever. And then you see the blood and you're like, and I'm innocent. He's redeemed me. He's made me whole. I, I, the the impact of that person's words or this difficult situation, he is evidence of a redeemed life. the 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 value of the blood is that it was never corrupted by sin or death. So that means it's eternally alive. His blood is sitting on the literal mercy seat in a heavenly dimension. It was human blood. He took it in there himself. It's in Hebrews. He entered into that sanctuary, the true sanctuary. He put his own blood sprinkled on there and it's crying out, Hebrew says, the Bible says it. It's crying out, speaking a better thing over humanity, saying I have a different way, I have a different sound, I have a different declaration over human beings, over pedophiles, over rapists, over these gnarly people who have engaged in some things. God's blood is still just sitting over there going, I, I, I have a different description for those people. Confronting I, I shared this once and people were angry at me. It's like well that just proves you, you you don't know the love of God. Or Jesus didn't hang on the tree. Who can feel that? Because he 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 wants he wants to receive the full reward of his suffering. He wants wants the full reward. So when we lower the value of the blood, we rob him from getting his reward because we're the ones called to get the reward. (laughs) Precious, precious blood was spilled, precious blood. So you take it and you remember your own innocence before the Lord. You remember that he's not keeping a record of wrongs. He's not holding you to account. He's forgotten. Hebrews 11, you go through the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. Who knows Hebrews 11? God's description of those people is not the accurate description of what they did in their lives. Somehow the redemptive power of the blood went back into time and restored their mess-ups and then permanently wrote a new description of what happened. Is he lying or does his, does his blood actually have that kind of power? to separate your sin as far as from the East is to the West, to forget, to remember your sins no more, to blot them out, Scripture says, to blot them out. And when you know you're so innocent before him, eternally innocent, not when you fix your mess up, Just he just looks at you and he's just like, I'm obsessed with you. That's intoxicating and that's why it should be wine, not grape juice. is <laughs> not wine. It's not wine. <laughs> It's intoxicating. It's intoxicating because you realize he's just like obsessed. He's obsessed with us. Um, and so what I wanted to talk about today was corporate communion. <laughs> but you have to recognize your own innocence in it. You have to interpret his love in, in that broken body and in that blood poured out and what it's what it means for your relationship with him so that when we enter in together we realize his body is not singular that actually he's when he talked about you know um he goes into the temple and he like turns over the tables and makes the whip and all that he says my house will be a house of prayer a house of communion a house of Fellowship. He says it to the woman at the well as well. True worshiper will worship in spirit and in truth, not through the temple system. It's not about the physical thing. Stephen's speech. Who knows Stephen's speech where he's like, you uncircumcised of heart and of, of ears, I think, or something like that. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He's saying you think that God can just dwell in a physical temple? It's like the God of not is not limited to an earthly structure. It's a whole other topic, but I I said all that to say that when you discern the body, it's not just discerning his body given to you, but it's discerning that you've come into the corporate life of the Trinity, because we are the body of Christ, members of one another. It actually says your your life, it actually isn't your own. You're, You're you come, unto the, you come into the headship of Jesus and now you're part of a body that's connected and is designed to be knit together through this bond called love. And actually, I believe there's only things that we attain to when we discover that union. That's why you study revival history and there's a consistent theme. I, I did a whole session on this. You guys maybe don't remember. But it's unity and prayer seems to catalyze revival no matter what because God finds a resting place in our union, So no wonder when we're in unity, there's a visitation that happens because he's looking for a dwelling place in our midst, not just to dwell in us individually, but to walk in our midst. And what he needs is the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God to be formed. And the only way it's formed is not by us building some amazing megachurch, although that's fine. It's actually our hearts coming into union with one another. Acts 4 says the multitude of the people were of one heart and one soul. And great grace was upon them. The multitude of people, multitude, that word is like, that's a lot of people. One heart and one soul and great grace was upon the people. So I want to read from 1 Corinthians 10. I've had seasons of, of pain, like where people not even always knowingly we do things, we rub each other the wrong way, we misinterpret each other, we we don't steward each other's hearts well because we're all maturing into, into love ourselves and so we're not always fully able to see one another clearly and to value one another and to see one another as the Lord sees them. And if you're if you've chosen to live a life where you're not going to, wall up your heart to people because of life situations and you've chosen to keep your heart tender, be tender hearted to one another Ephesians says, there's the potential, probably the likelihood that you're going to experience some discomfort in that place. I first had to go through a process of realizing that I was totally numb to feeling anything and then I had to come out of that and realize that To experience love is to experience vulnerability and tenderness and be open. And that means to risk (laughs) pain. And it doesn't mean you're not believing the gospel if you experience pain. It actually means you are believing the gospel because you're being formed in love and you're letting your heart become tender. Moving into offense, that's sin. That's not from God. That's letting your pain become a place of um, poison, basically. But I feel like practically speaking, like to come into the place of prayer, firstly on an individual level, discerning the body and the blood is just like it takes you right to the heart of God's love, his suffering love, and it actually will bring you into that deeper well of life that you find in the valley of weeping. It'll take you into that place if you you attach a, a right revelation to it and you recognize that God, it's actually substance, it's alive, it's, it's God's given. We did communion today, actually, before before I came here, in, um, with a couple of friends, and we're just like the weight of God's presence. I'm I'm telling you, I'm not just like I'm not just like exaggerating. His presence came so strong that it felt like I actually I actually was going into an ecstatic encounter, like like I've had in the past, um, in like in crazy moments with the Lord. It was like in two minutes. Of process, of just doing it, I literally felt this like eternal dimension open up. Honestly, significant, significant moment. Like, and I just felt that rush of like th- that ecstatic realm just opening up. What happened? Um, I came back to earth and I looked around and I remember to have a baby's crawl eating the floor like that. <laughs> but remember how I said in the stages of prayer, this is what I love. Like, he. He just takes you straight into places sometimes and he's just so kind. It's just not what you can do. It's never what you can do. But I feel like he's just been speaking to me about his ta- the table of the Lord, the feast that we're missing out on. So many scriptures go through my head right now. Let's read 1 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10? No, 1 Corinthians 10. He's talking about, he's actually, the context is about idolatry. And um. And that's really, that's the context. It's important to know that. He's talking about fleeing from idolatry and um, carnality and things like that. The Corinthians, he's dealing with that sort of stuff a lot. So, But I just want to pull out a few points. Listen to this. From verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. He's talking about the Israelites, okay? All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, right? So he calls it spiritual food. All ate the same spiritual food. And all ate, sorry, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And he just makes it so explicit. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So we know how that ended up. We know a whole generation didn't actually go into the promised land because they complained, they complained, they made idols, they complained, they made idols. He calls them up to the mountain, they're too scared. They're just a disobedient generation and God wrestled with them intensely. And so he goes on to say, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as some of them as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. There is this aspect of who God is that is just jealous for your attention and for you to find your supply in him. Leave your phone at home for one day and then ask yourself a question about idolatry. When I say things like that, I say these things to myself and I, I get confronted. Put your phone just over there for a second and see how you go. <laughs> we have to start having these conversations because we, we are, we are, there's, a, there's this matrix that people are plugged into and we've got, to, we've got to disentangle ourselves so that we can be free to engage in those places. You know, so many people are like, well, I, I use Facebook to evangelize. It's like, well, okay, I think I believe you. <laughs> We've got it. The Lord's calling us. He's calling us. This is why this is important. The feast, this is, it's because it's a supply, a heavenly supply of nourishment to your heart and to your soul and to your body even, I believe. Because it's healing to the body. So that you don't have to have these these dependencies on these other things, so that's he's actually that's what he's talking about that's the context, not explicitly, but it is okay let's um let's go to verse fourteen, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, summary, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The word communion, it means the shared participation. It's the word koinonia. It's the joint participation. We're sharing together in his cup, right? When you drink, even when you're alone, you drink the cup and you discern it and you do it in faith, you're drinking of a communal thing. It's the same spring, it's the same river, it's the same source of life that your brother that you have a disagreement with is drinking from. And if we don't deal with this thing of offense and a division, we're just not, we just cannot go where the Lord is taking us. We, we will not go there. We will not go there. And it, the broader sense even, of denominations and things like that, which I'm particularly passionate about. Bill Johnson is not the Pope. The Charismatic Church is not the only church. It's awesome. I heard um, heard someone quoting someone else. I think it was like Randy Clark's quote where he said that every stream thinks they're the river. I love that quote. Every stream thinks they're the river, and they—you can just I, I pick it up now in people's language all the time in things they say, and don't feel uncomfortable. I'm not analysing you. I'm just—I've picked it up in like even friends of mine and myself because I've had to go on a journey with it. But we we divide in our language. We and it's okay to have your own traditions and own culture, but we we actually we speak through a, a lens of superiority. It's and it's it's. Divisive and it's it's filthy. I this, I feel the grace of God on this. We we gotta we gotta put this stuff aside, because because this is the problem. Is the charismatic prophetic movement is gonna be prophesying a unity in the body all day long, but until we actually figure out how to unify, it just will fall to the ground. That just felt, this feels so good right now to say this. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the common union of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. The table of the Lord, how good is it? Okay. Far out. Whoa. It's a long time. I didn't know. I've just been speaking for a long time. I realized. Okay. I, I just feel like I'd, I'll make a comment on this and then we'll finish. But like, this is a really practical way for us to participate in the life of the Spirit, the life of the Father, Son, and Spirit together and to in it address the state of our heart. And there's a whole lot of ideas around communion that's about like getting really introspective and searching for sin and read those portions of scripture in context. It's not saying that you're meant to go digging for sin because you're not going to it's the Lord's not digging for it. So you're not following the Lord if you're digging for sin, right? I don't believe that's the interpretation of what he's saying. But you when you take this and you recognize like this isn't just about my little salvation, my little independent life, my little destiny, my little dream, you realize that God actually has a vision for a family and for mission, family to go on mission, of course, but like that's his dream. And when you take this and you go, oh my goodness, there's one bread, one body. We're mystically united. Time and space is not, just because it's separate, I'm holding this and you're holding that and I'm holding this. And there's sep- separateness in the spirit realm. There isn't separateness. And we're participating of one life source called the broken body of Jesus. And the suffering that you may be feeling because of the pain that your brother called you, when you eat this, you go, oh my goodness, he suffered too. And I can now see his blood was poured out. And he was actually innocent. And he forgave me when I had no ability to do the right thing. And I was spitting in his face, basically. And so you drink the cup, and you're not like that's my delicious little thing, you know. You're like, oh my goodness, this is this is liquid forgiveness. How dare I hold on to unforgiveness? Get it? See how see how precious it is. Like it's just got, it should have so much more weight to it, especially when we do it together. It's just a weightiness to it. All right. <laughs> and there's joy in it too. Yeah, it's, it is intoxicating. That's why it should be wine. <laughs> Just to throw it in there. Thank you for listening to House of Wine, the podcast. I pray that you would start to fall into richer experiences in the glory of God. Please subscribe to stay up to date with what we have coming up in the future. And once again, thank you for listening.